Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Charles didn't have just any coronary artery disease. He had Charles's coronary artery disease. Michelle didn't have just any heart attack. She had Michelle's heart attack. At VCU Health Poly Heart Center, we know every heart is unique. And as Virginia's only nationally ranked heart program, we'll keep them beating healthy and strong. VCU Health Poly Heart Center. Learn more at vcuhealth.org slash heart. Okay, let's go ahead and get started yet again. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to today's Sunday podcast of The Miller Frost Show. I am your host, Bad Gay, and sometimes America's most beloved self-loathing homosexual, Miller Frost, here as always with my dear fake black friend, white boy Malcolm X. Remember, you can get hold of me a couple different ways. My email is miller at millerfrostonline.com. I am on Twitter, even though I'm still suspended. I guess my Hobo Jack Twitter timeout ends, I think, uh, Monday or Tuesday. I don't know. I don't care. Um, at Miller Frost Show is my Twitter handle. My parlor handle is at Miller Frost. And I also have a YouTube page with some some show clips up there, just some audio of me and a couple different stories from each of the last couple of podcasts And before I forget, we will not be here on Wednesday that I know of. Mama Frost is coming up on Tuesday. So I got to trudge all the way to Logan to pick her up. And we're going to be having a lot of fun and a lot of wine. And I'm sure White Boy Malcolm X will be there as well. Enjoying. I got got some wine and Mama Frost is going to go get us some more of the good stuff. But we're looking forward to her visit. I think we'll see. We'll see how I am in a, a week from today. If I sound despondent, if I'm, you know, banging my head against the desk too much, you'll know it was, it was a, you know, some visits. I love family. You love, you know, hanging out. But what's the thing about fish? Good for about three days. Anyway, let's jump right in. And I thought I would mix things up. Don't worry, White Boy Malcolm X, because you're looking panicked over there, <laughs> kind of. We are going to start with a gay story, and we're going to end with a smoking gun story. Although I don't think, hold on, let me check real quick. I'm going to cheat real quick. No, it is not out of Florida. But I do have a smoking gun story from Florida. So I have two smoking gun stories, but that's intermixed. But that's what I'm trying to say is that we normally kind of have blocks. So we'll do like the gay block and then we'll have some some race stuff. And then we'll kind of, uh, you know, mix and mingle some of the funner, funner stories, the more lighthearted stories. But this time kind of threw all the, the papers in the air and just kind of reshuffled. I want to kind of intermix things and just kind of try that as a as a new format. And we'll see how it works. If it doesn't work, then we'll go back to the old one. If it works, then we'll, we'll, we'll keep it. We'll see how things go. But let's go ahead and, and jump in with this hot mess of a story. 
And here is the headline, Meet the Trans Man Who Also Identifies as a Dog. And if you're like, well, Miller, that is, that's crazy. Folks, this is where we're going. <laughs> Actually, we're probably already there. We're clearly already there. We already got one. I got a trans man who identifies sometimes as a dog. So let's find out about this one and whether he eats uh, Purina, whatever dogs eat these days. Snapchat recently featured on its front page a trans man who also identifies as a dog. The story is part of a series called Extreme Love. And God, you can say that again, and details the fetish of puppy play by the trans man and his partner. It shows the trans man dressing in fetish gear and living as a dog. This includes fetching, sitting on command, and barking at strangers. I wonder if... I'm assuming there's a leash involved, but I wonder if the partner walks him out, <laughs> walks him outside to do his business and if he carries a little baggie to pick it up. While most of those might view this as comedy, it's entirely serious for the participants waffle on whether or not it's sexual for them or just a platonic activity. You know, I have to say real quick, I am I tend to be very libertarian on a lot of things and I always say if you're not hurting kids or animals, and yes, public school teachers, I am talking to you when I talk about kids. If you're not hurting kids or animals, I, I really don't care what two or more consenting adults choose to do with themselves or each other. Uh, that None of my business. Like the, uh, we had the story about the Brussels, Belgium, legs in the air party. And it's like, I, you know, quite frankly, that was not a judgment on what they were doing. I like to laugh at it because I just thought it was hysterical. You had a bunch of anti-gay politicians who are flying to Belgium and going to gay sex orgies. <laughs> that was what was funny to me. But, you know, the fact that they were doing that, not my thing. That is not my scene. But, you know, you got to do you. You do you. That is none of my business. So for these folks, I'm sure it's a little bit of both. But let's find out a little bit more. Trans species is a movement garnering more momentum online. What isn't these days? This entails individuals who identify as animals, similar to how people occasionally identify as another gender. And if you think that sounds kind of loopy, well, yes, it kind of is. But as we discussed uh, over the last couple of podcasts, there are now approximately seven genders. And I forgot to write them down again. So you've got male, female, transgender, agender, which is, I, I don't know what that is, um, the questioning gender. And there are a couple others, but there are apparently seven, seven ways you can identify your gender or just pick none of the above, if you'd like. Unlike transgenderism, however, there is, of course, no science or medical diagnosis to back this phenomenon up, but give them time. It is often about sexual kicks rather than actual identity, which is why it becomes frustrating to transgender individuals to hear these fetishists use terminology such as identify as... This terminology has long since been used by transgender people to better describe their feelings and experiences. So if you are a, a fetishist who thinks you're a dog or likes to pretend that you think you're a dog, the transgender community has called dibs on identify as, so you're not allowed to say that. Okay, then. You don't want to... Folks, look, if you're into puppy play, you do not want to upset the transgenders. They'll be like knocking at your door going, uh-uh. Identify as, that's our turf. Bad dog. Bad, bad dog. You stay off our turf. And that was the transgender woman who said that. 
Her voice hadn't uh, gone back up yet. The question must also be raised as to why Snapchat felt it was appropriate to highlight a fetish on their front page. It's a wildly popular app that many children use, which answers the question. Let's normalize this sort of behavior so that kids just think, hey, if I want to be a dog today, I want to be a cat and I want my partner to get a big giant sandbox that I can use as my litter box. That's what we're going to do. But you can't say that you identify as a cat because then you're going to get the transgenders knocking on your door and getting angry with you. Fetishes such as these used to be reserved for the bedroom or specific adult websites, but it's becoming more and more normalized to act them out in public as often as possible. Yes, that it is. Okay, then. Like I said, folks, if you're into that, you do you. None of my business. How's this for a headline? Activist, yes, there's, it's not a gay story, white boy Malcolm X. I told you, I'm mixing it up. I am mixing it up today, so we're going to go right to race. How's this? Activist professor demands Vancouver Canucks change logo, claims it's cultural appropriation. And you're probably like, well, who would say that? But <laughs> look at this, white boy Malcolm X. I know. Folks, this is by another dopey, woke, white millennial. So some white kid beating himself up because he's white. And he's got privilege. And I guess that's what uh, they do in Canada because they got nothing else to do. The Vancouver Canucks are the latest sports franchise to face pressure over their imagery and the alleged appropriation of indigenous art and culture. According to the University of Manitoba history professor Sean Carlton, who, folks, is a dopey, woke, white millennial. The imagery depicted in the Canucks logo, an orca with elements of traditional Haiti art style, is appropriated. In light of sports teams in Cleveland, Washington, and Edmonton getting rid of racist and appropriated indigenous teams' names and logos, it's time to have a discussion about the Vancouver Canucks indigenous appropriated orca logo, tweeted Carlton. You know what a liberal says? It's time to have a discussion. You know you're about to get screwed, folks. So, White Boy Malcolm X, I, I do have a question for you. So, he's complaining that the Vancouver Canucks indigenous orca logo has been appropriated. Can you actually appropriate an orca? I mean, isn't that like a whale? Well, I, that's what I thought. I mean, did they call dibs? Are they like the transgender folks for the... Um, Identify as? Did the, did the indigenous folks up in Canada call dibs on using the orca as a logo? Jeez. What else are they going to appropriate? You know what they're going to do? They're going to get rid of the uh, the bald eagle, our, uh, our national bird. They're going to be like, that's culturally appropriating because that bird was here before the white man got here, which means it was owned by the Native Americans. So look out. Sean Carlton's going to come for us next. How can you continue to develop meaningful relations with Coast Salish nations when you continue to profit from branding that is appropriating their art style, said Carlton. Carlton's analysis starts from a controversy sparked by Canucks goaltender Braden Holdby, whoever that is, who appropriated indigenous imagery on his new mask. Heavens no. Some, some goaltending kid took some in indigenous imagery as well. Shame on him. He has since apologized. Damn straight he did. But why is Holtby getting criticized for doing what the team has done for years, asked Carlton. I don't know if I can read any more of this. Here, let's wrap this up. Canucks team owner Francesco Aquilini recently said that the logo might be tweaked, though he says the logo is indigenous to the region, standing by it. Yeah, it's got an orca in it. It's just, 
I think no one can call dibs on that, but I, get, I could be wrong. Carlton, however, believes the logo should be retired. Okay, you, you go there, Sean Carlton. Nothing better to do. Complaining about a stupid, uh, stupid logo. And, folks, I've looked at the logo. It's, it's basically a C for Canucks with an orca whale coming in. I mean, I don't know what he's talking about with traditional Haiti art style. I, I don't know what he's talking about. It's a, it's a damn whale. You cannot appropriate a whale. Stupid Canadians. And I don't mean all Canadians, just a, I mean, when they go liberal up there, they really go liberal. I have a really dear friend up in, in Toronto. It's funny, I, he, I met him when uh, we were, we were in, uh, in Tokyo, and he moved back, and so I called him once, I was like, I'm coming to visit you. I thought he was in Vancouver. He's like, no, I'm in Toronto. I'm like, oh, I don't know, you got like, Canada, like five cities, maybe. You got Vancouver, Toronto, Quebec, and Montreal. You got four cities in Canada. That's it. And I had a 25% chance and I flubbed it completely. Okay, I'm not reading this article. Just the headlines. This is interesting. These are the most hated cities in the United States. This is from BGR. And I was just going to read off the list of most loved and most hated cities in America. So the number one, White Boy Malcolm X, the number one most loved city in the United States is Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I think they shoot black people up there. That's that's horrible. Fort Worth, Texas is number two. St. Paul, Minnesota is the third. San Diego, California. I can see that. That's number four. That's my old stomping ground. I used to live in I lived in San Diego for a couple of years. Fun times. Fun times indeed. Denver, Colorado, White Boy Malcolm X. There we go. There is our old stomping ground at number five. And you'll never believe who is number six. Portland, Oregon, of all freaking places. I guess it is probably loved because they just love to burn it down. San Francisco, California is number seven. And I guess because, hey, it might be fetishists who love the stench of urine as they as they go pick up dirty needles. Nashville, Tennessee is number eight. And, um, you know, white boy Malcolm X, I bet you the folks in Nashville probably actually are enjoying COVID and no travel. And you're like, why would you say that, Mill? I was I've read a couple of articles where Nashville, Tennessee has become like the or was at one time the bachelorette capital of the United States. So anytime some dopey millennial chick was getting married, apparently they'd all get on a plane, her and her girlfriends, and they'd all go to Nashville and they'd go party it up. So can you imagine living in Nashville and you're just inundated nonstop with drunk, hysterical millennial chicks? No matter where you go, they're everywhere. You know, drunk and screaming and, and having a having a you know a gay old time. <laughs> but not really. But they're having a you know, they're having a good old time out there and I'd be like Phew. like a year. Give us more COVID. Just keep those stupid uh, bachelorettes away from us. Finishing off that top of the list um is Indianapolis, Indiana, and oddly enough, Washington DC. The um probably if you are a member of the ruling class, that would be your favorite city because that's just like you get uh, access to the printing presses. Now, on the flip side, are you ready, White Boy Malcolm X, for the top 10? And we'll, we'll start at the bottom here. Number 10, Miami, Florida. Number 9, Riverside, California. And if you've, speaking of San Diego, if you live in San Diego and you know that someone's coming down from Riverside, you refer to them as River Tuckians because <laughs> Riverside is. 
They we used to call it uh, River Tucky back in the day. I don't know if they still do that. Colorado Springs, Colorado is number eight, which probably is because they're just full of white supremacists. Number seven is Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, which is full of gay white racists. Number six is New York, New York, which is full of, (laughs) what is that full of? Hysterical millennial women who riot and burn. Number five is St. Louis, Missouri, which is full of God knows what. Four is L.A., three is Baltimore, two is Vegas, and number one is Detroit, Michigan. So those are the most hated, hated cities in America. I don't live in any. Boston didn't do really good. It didn't do really bad. We're just, we're the, the porch that was just right. We're, we're good to go. This is a Fox News story, and here's the headline. Biden gets Buttigieg husband's name wrong, calls him Kristen. Which, let's face it, that might be his their um, their little king, <laughs> calling him Kristen. But let's find out a little bit. I'll tell you what, though, before I dig into this. I was looking for gay news today, and the queens, folks, the queens are loving this story. That uh, Pete Buttigieg, who is the former mayor of some rinky-dink Indiana town, will be running the nation's transportation department. Like, he has zero qualifications for this job, but the queens are just, oh, he's we got a gay cabinet-level post now. Oh, they're just, the fact that he's not anywhere near qualified for this role, I don't think he could fill a pothole if his life depended on it. But he's apparently, just because he's gay, we're going to just slot him in there so Joe can go deal with someone else and give some other token minority, another cabinet-level position. Let's not get the best and brightest. Let's just fill the slots with uh, with uh, these sorts of clowns. Anyway, let's find out a little bit more about Kristen Buttigieg. <laughs> President-elect creepy Uncle Joe Biden, during a speech on Wednesday, accidentally referred to the husband of former South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg by the wrong name. The gaffe came while Biden was formally announcing Buttigieg, his Democratic primary rival, and his pick for transportation secretary. Jill and I have always enjoyed seeing Pete and Kristen, or Chaston, I should say, together on the campaign trail, Biden said, after listing his nominee's credentials, which probably took him about 10 seconds. Chaston has become a close friend of Jill and mine. During the primary, Biden took a shining to Buttigieg. Ugh. I don't even want to know what's going on there, folks. Who he said reminded him of his late son, Bo Biden, a former Delaware attorney general who had urged his father to make a third run for the White House. Bo died in 2015. It's always the bad ones that, that manage to linger on. I mean, that thing with uh, with Bo is very sad. I'm not making fun of that. Don't get me wrong. But uh, to be left with the uh, the, the crackhead as the, um, as the last remaining son... But I can't say that that uh, Hunter is a whore to China because that might get me suspended on Twitter for another week. Screw you, Twitter. And in keeping things mixed up, this is a New York Post story. And how's this for a headline? Man arrested for chasing Maine McDonald's employees with chainsaw. So yes, folks, this putz took a chainsaw to McDonald's. Employees at a McDonald's in Maine weren't loving it when a would-be customer started chasing them with a chainsaw. Alice Sweet entered, and folks, you would hear the name Alice Sweet, and you would be like, well, that sounds kind of like someone's grandmother, but (laughs) this white boy Malcolm X is dope. It's 
So it's actually a guy, folks. He is a dopey white millennial. And I'm sure he's just insane because his parents named him Alice. <laughs> and so he just snapped and took a chainsaw to McDonald's. Let's find out more about Alice Sweet. Alice Sweet entered a McDonald's in Portland. Of course, it's Portland. Around 3.30 p.m. Tuesday with a chainsaw and revved the weapon at employees behind the counter, the Westbrook Police Department said in a statement. Sweet then stole some food and a drink before fleeing the restaurant, police said. The manager later confronted the madman, but then Sweet began chasing him with the chainsaw, police said. Cops said the 26... Hold on, so let me understand this, white boy Malcolm X. So, Alice Sweet, loving Alice Sweet, <laughs> goes to McDonald's, got a chainsaw in hand, and then he just starts revving up the chainsaw at the employees who are standing behind the counter, just kind of, I'm sure they're looking like shell-shocked, like, what the hell, what the hell have we gotten ourselves into? And so he goes behind the counter, gets himself, I don't know what that, you know what, McRib is back, maybe, maybe he got himself a McRib or two. So he gets a, gets some sandwich, he gets a cup, he fills it with ice, he puts it on the soda machine. So I don't know where the chainsaw is at this point, maybe he's got it, you know, hoisted on his back. He takes the food, he takes the drink, and he, and he goes, and then the manager goes after him. I guess he puts the food down, and then he gets the chainsaw and goes out, goes after the manager chasing him. Poor manager, who just wants him to pay for the damn McRib and the soda. He probably got himself an extra large soda, too, so that thing is more expensive. And he probably wanted him just to pay for it, and the guy, guy goes after him with the chainsaw then. Cops said the 26-year-old of Portland also damaged two cars that were parked at the fast food joint. Officers who responded to the scene ran after Sweet and tracked him down to arrest him. I wonder if he cried White Boy Malcolm X like uh, Commander Red, that little bitch with the flamethrower. And if you folks are like, who the hell is Commander Red Miller? Commander Red was one of these Antifa thugs walking around this ginger kid. He called, he called himself Commander Red. I wasn't, that's not my name for him. And he, got, uh, he had a flamethrower and the cops got him on the ground and he started crying like a little bitch. <laughs> I wonder if Alice Sweet did the same thing. Sweet has been charged with robbery, criminal mischief, refusing to submit to arrest, and violation of conditions of release. Now, if you were in Florida, folks, they would all be misdemeanors. So I don't know what they are like in Maine. I don't know what kind of time Alice Sweet's going to be serving. But we'll have to keep an eye on that story. The chainsaw at McDonald's. I guess it's better than White Castle. This is from the Epoch Times, and here's the headline. Public servants in Victoria told not to say husband or wife in inclusive language guide. The Andrews State Government has told Victorian public servants to avoid terms such as wife, husband, madam, or sir when working with LGBT. What? Hold on a second. LGBTIQ plus people. So hold on a second, folks. There. Had to just slam my head into the desk a couple times. White boy Malcolm X, what the hell? They, we added another letter to the alphabet. I joke about half the alphabet. We're getting there. LGBTIQ+. I figured the plus... Look, if, you're, if you are a professional gay and this is your bread and butter, stop it. Stop it with the letters right now. The plus covers it. You could just say LGBT+, and call it a day... We throws in the lesbians, the gays, the bisexuals, the transgenders, and I, I think, is um, what intersex, good God, Interse whatever the hell that is, questioning. You don't need the Q. Questioning community. They don't really count until they commit. <laughs> you know, I, just because you dabble in it once or twice doesn't make you part of the club. 
You're not in the tribe unless you commit. I committed. I am full bore in. Bisexual, you're kind of half in. You're one foot in, one foot out. I am fully on committed. The um, the lesbians are fully on committed. Transgender, if they go through with all that, they are doubly so. <laughs> we got to move the T to the front because they really are committed. But intersex, question, whatever. Folks, you need to just stop. Cut it out. Just stop it right now. Ugh. Yeah, and you wonder, White by Malcolm X, why I wanted to mix things up. Because I'm, I'm, I'm aggravated. But if I had like three of these stories back to back to back, man, I would have been really aggravated. But uh, let's find out more about this hot mess. Judges will also move towards using gender-neutral terms such as citizen instead of traditional terms such as mister. So it is no longer Mr. Smith. It is Citizen Smith. Well, hell, they should just say comrade at that point. The 11-page document... <laughs> Trust me, they're, gonna, they're getting there, slowly but surely. The 11-page document published this week outlines how public servants are not to exclude and devalue non-heterosexual people and their relationships by assuming a person's gender. The document adds that while most men use he and most women use she, some people use gender-neutral pronouns like they, them. And if you need a good example of that, Sam Smith. <laughs> Doesn't have... Any time to write a hit song anymore, folks. He's just kind of, I don't know what he's, you know, uh, he's on fumes at this point, but he's got all the time in the world to worry about what pronouns he's, um, he's using. Those who get it wrong are advised to apologize promptly. Like, um, what is that dopey, <laughs> another Canadian, what the hell's going on up there? We're like, white boy, Malcolm X, well, they closed the border, thank God, if, if all this nuttiness is going on, but we need to go up there and see what's going on. But, um, Sean Mendez, thank you. Sean Mendez was the, the dopey Canadian kid that had to apologize for using Sam Smith's wrong pronouns. He said he, because Sam is a he, but Sam thinks he's a they, so poor Sean got in trouble. Anyway, let's restart that sentence. Those who get it wrong are advised to wimp out and apologize promptly and not give up until they get it right, the document states. Can you see white boy Malcolm X, one of these pansy pajama boy bureaucrats, trying to you know not give up i am i am not gonna give up i am just i'm not gonna say mr smith he wanted the piece of paper i'm gonna practice citizen smith they wanted the piece of paper citizen smith they wanted the piece of paper i woke i am not gonna give up on this i bet girlfriend i bet you won't victorian health minister martin foley said that this approach was about being polite reported news corp's herald sun I was always brought up with the notion that it's always best to be polite, and it's being polite to someone to not take assumptions as to their marital status, their sexuality, or their role in life, he said. It's also polite, folks, to not be a high-maintenance queen and demand that everyone kowtow to your special pronouns of the day. You know, it's one of these things where if someone says he or refers to you as a, as a man and you're today you wake up and you identify as a dog... <laughs> Whatever the hell, just keep your mouth closed and just, okay, whatever. It's fine. I'm not going to get butthurt about someone assuming that because I look like a man. I'm, I'm, I might not be a man because today I have my special pronouns. It works both ways, Martin. It really does work both ways. Anyway, picking back up. However, Bella DeBrera from the Think Tank Institute of Public Affairs told News Corp that, oh, that is the hated Murdoch family. They own Fox News that the Andrews government was obsessed with identity politics. You think? 
The obsession with whether Victorian public servants should be using wife or husband epitomizes an unelected bureaucratic class obsessed with identity politics and not focused on the needs of mainstream Victorians, she said. It tells you everything you need to know about the Andrews government, that it is more focused on policing the language of public servants than getting the 500,000 unemployed Victorians devastated by its draconian lockdowns back to work. Hey, listen, listen, Bella, they're all getting paid. They don't care. Rita Panahi, a conservative opinion columnist, said in an op-ed that ceding linguistic territory to the left was divisive and destructive. The trans activist agenda has had enormous success in silencing critics by attacking anyone who questions or corrects falsehoods as dangerous bigots, she said. No kidding. Enough of that crazy going on there. So they are going to call you citizen. They are not going to call you Mr. or Mrs. So you're won't have to get butt hurt if they don't use your fancy pronouns. Speaking, God. speaking of people devastated by draconian lockdowns, this is a post-millennial story, and here's the headline: American professionals who advocate for lockdowns don't have to make any real sacrifices. And I have been saying that for I don't know how long at this point. Uh, the care I call them the COVID Karens, the Karen class, and it's not just women. It, you know, COVID Karen can be a man. It's just the mentality. But they don't really give a crap. I mean, as long as the employees at Whole Foods and the Tesla dealership are classified as essential employees and they have to go to work, they don't care about movie theaters or concert halls or bars and restaurants or any of that crap. They're going to sit in their, their nice, fancy houses and, you know, have food brought in and, and don't have to worry about much of anything. But let's see what uh, the post-millennial has to say about this. A little bit of it. It's quite a damn long article. America's professional class and the big companies that employ them are doing just fine. They can continue to advocate for lockdowns because, other than the occasional canceled brunch, they are barely affected by the closures that have shuttered city centers and disemployed people across the country. America's professional class and their corporate employers make sacrifices on their own terms, while dictating that everyone else do as they are told. Americans in the service or in hospitality sectors have been left out in the cold, unable to earn a living because of government shutdowns and corporate layoffs, all while being told they are selfish for wanting to work. Yet do not get COVID care and angry. In the New York Times, Eve Pizer wrote that while the wealthy and the highly educated haven't entirely escaped the soul-crushing effects of the virus, and don't you feel don't you feel so bad for those folks? <laughs> it's so hard being them. Poor princess. It's so hard being you folks. You COVID Karens, safe in your warm houses. It's so hard being you. That's how I talk to my cat. But that's how you got to talk to them because they're like, they're like little kids. They have also been... No, I don't talk to my cat like that. I'm kidding. But I do talk to uh, pansy leftist liberal Karens like that. They have also been, on the whole, getting richer. She notes that it has become clearer than ever that you don't have to be a bad person to live in an immoral system. I think they're alluding to systemic racism and white supremacy. Hmm. There's one thing missing in this analysis, and it's this. The immoral system in which these people are living is one in which they are complicit. In fact, they help create it fully and intentionally. They profit from it financially, and in their moralizing over the sacrifices— and the lie that we are all in it together, they profit from it spiritually. 
the wealthiest, comfiest Americans in sitting home, buying Peloton so they don't have to risk life and limb going to the gym, are not doing their part. They are not sacrificing at all. Amen. Who wrote this? Libby Emmons. Amen, sister. Amen. America's upper class, the class that can work from home with little to no disruption, who have ample space for their kids to set up virtual learning classrooms, who order deliveries of all their essentials and worldly goods, are not the ones making real sacrifices, but they are the ones setting policy. Man. And I will finish it up with this. America's lowest wage earners are the sacrificial lambs of coronavirus shutdown policies. They, oh, did you hear White Boy Malcolm X? I think they're going to get another $600 check. You can't work for months. You're months behind on your mortgage or your rent and trying to get food together and, and all this. You're, you're barely making it. And they're going to send you 600 bucks. Lucky you, huh? They are the ones who are unable to feed their families while being told that we are all in it together. We are not all in it together. Those who are wealthy, prosperous, educated elites are showing their true colors. So long as they are fine and well cared for, they simply don't care what happens to anyone else. Amen, sister. Libby Emmons. I wonder if she's on Twitter. I have to follow her once. I'm, I'm off of uh, Hobo Jack's Twitter timeout. And since we're on the subject of, of COVID, Karen, quickly, here's uh, another article on collateral damage, which is something we've been talking about on the, on the program for, for a couple months as well. And this is from Boston.com. Officials, pandemic fueling overdose deaths in Connecticut. Overdose deaths from opioids are on the rise in Connecticut as the coronavirus pandemic has compounded social stressors and increased isolation. And I think we had a story a few months ago about the increase of these sorts of deaths in, I believe, Maine as well. I mean, the whole Northeast is, man, they do like their, their opioids up here, but, uh, which is unfortunate, to say the least. But uh, now, we're, now we're getting a story out of Connecticut. But COVID Karen doesn't care because she's in her house. State health officials said Friday that the state is projected to record more than 1,300 overdose deaths by the end of the year, the Hartford Courant reports. That compares to 1,200 fatal overdoses in 2019. Through October, the state had seen a 13% increase in drug overdose deaths compared to the same period last year. Connecticut has recorded a 300% increase in opioid overdose deaths since 2012, said Dr. James Gill, the state's chief medical examiner. The data reflects a national trend, the current reports. The Federal Centers for Disease Control and Prevention reported this week that about 81,000 people had fatally overdosed on drugs between June 2019 and May 2020, the highest number ever recorded in a 12-month period. Fentanyl, a highly dangerous synthetic opioid, has been involved in about 85% of Connecticut's overdose deaths this year. Miriam Delphin Rittman, Commissioner of the State Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services, said at a virtual roundtable discussion. The horse tranquilizer xylazine, holy crap, white boy Malcolm X. Who that? You must be one hell of a junkie, folks, if you need a horse tranquilizer. Damn. What? <laughs> this is a serious story, White Boy Malcolm X. You should not be. Folks, White Boy Malcolm X did have a good point, though. He goes, if someone identifies as a horse, going back to our first story, meet the trans man who also identifies as a dog. So if someone identifies as a horse, then it probably is appropriate for them to take xylazine. Probably. But anyway, it is also increasingly showing up in overdose deaths. 
Well, this, folks, this is, um, no, this is, uh, it's a shame. It really is a shame, all this collateral damage of um, you know, drug addictions and drug overdoses and, you know, people being pushed into bankruptcy because they're just, they're not allowed to work. But COVID Karen is happy, folks. It's, so that's all that matters. This is a Federalist story, and here's the headline with this one. New paper provides blueprint for university trigger warnings. Don't use them. Oh, hold on a second, folks. If you are a dopey pajama boy millennial living in your mother's basement, or you are some hysterical millennial chick on the verge of rioting in New York, I'm just giving you a trigger warning right now. I'm going to be talking about trigger warnings, and that might freak you both out. So just I'm just saying. So let's let's redo that headline. New paper provides blueprint for university trigger warnings. Don't use them. A new paper from the James G. Martin Center for Academic Renewal. Well, they've got an uphill battle, don't they? Offers universities recommendations on the use of trigger warnings that in essence tell campuses don't use them. Trigger warnings have been enormously controversial, the center wrote. According to some estimates, around 51% of academics use trigger warnings. God. Some universities have begun to require that faculty use trigger warnings before they present potentially sensitive material, which, folks, if you don't know what that is, that is pretty much anything written by a dead white guy. However, study after study has found them ineffectual. Can you see this white boy Malcolm X, some dopey professor with his trigger warning and be like, now, students, um... In my briefcase there, I am going to take out a, a book, and I want to let everyone know that it was written by a man, and it's it's someone who identifies as, as a man, and his pronouns are he, his. And this white man, he, he wrote this book, and he's, um, well, I want to let you know that he's white. Oh, oh, oh it's, it's it's okay. It's okay. Don't cry. Oh, no. Don't cry, kids. Don't cry, kids. It's going to be all right. It's, it's going to be all right, kids. <laughs> you know they have to do that. I'm sure they do, and I'm sure some hysterical whatever goes nuts in there. Worse, the center continued, trigger warnings have been used to shield students from merely controversial ideas, and such warnings have been placed on many widely read books and plays. Examples include Mark Twain's Huckleberry Finn and F. Scott Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby. I rest my case. If universities do choose to move forward with their employment of trigger warnings, the North Carolina-based nonprofit gives institutions a blueprint on how to use the policies to mitigate academic consequences. White Boy Malcolm X, would you like to hear the paper's five recommendations? <laughs> I, I know you. I knew you would. I knew you would. Here they are, folks. If you are a, a dopey college professor and you want to whatever... With your trigger warnings, here are some recommendations that this, this center have for you. Number one, strongly discourage the use of trigger warnings, but allow instructors to choose whether to include them on their syllabi or in courses. Make all syllabi public, preferably months ahead of the course or module. And you know, folks, you have you are a snowflake from hell if, if it takes you months to get yourself in a non-hysterical state uh, looking at a, a syllabus on what you might have to do for work. <laughs> Sounds like Yale University. Allow individual students to decide on their own whether they can handle a specific content. So I guess they need the 
I don't know if I can handle that. I don't know if I can handle it. Well, I, I can't take any classes because I can't handle any of it. But I, I want my my $150,000 gender studies master's degree, but I don't know how I'm going to get it. And I can't pay back my student loans because it's $150,000 for a worthless degree and I'm only going to be a barista at Starbucks for the rest of my life. <laughs> Idiots. Number three. Never require instructors to use trigger warnings. That is definitely not Yale University. Adopt the state. This is number four, folks. Adopt a statement in support of free expression. If you can see that on a college campus, hell truly has frozen over. And number five, which will also will never, ever, ever, ever happen. Defend instructors who teach controversial subjects. I wasn't at the, what just popped into my head. That, that professor, I think it was right after George Floyd got killed and someone wanted to let all the black students out of the exams and he was like, uh, no, not going to happen. And I think they suspended him. <laughs> he got in trouble for it. He should have just said, ah, I tell you what, if you're black, identify as black, whatever. If you've got any melatonin in your skin, hey, you're out of here. Don't, don't worry about it. Here's your degree. Don't even bother the rest of the couple of years. Just you're never going to pay the student loans back anyway. So that's that, folks. Good luck with those trigger warnings. This is a pink news story and is, folks, I'm, I, one of my New Year's resolutions is to never discuss the Tiger Queen again. <laughs> but since it's only December 20th, we are going to discuss them because I got 11 more days. Although we probably only have Wait by Malcolm X. We got this show. We got the show on the 27th because Mama Frost is in town this week, so I won't be doing one this Wednesday. And then maybe a couple days before New Year's, which would be the, um, the, the 30th. Yeah, we can do a kind of a, a almost New Year's Eve special. Or we could just move it to Thursday. But no, we're going to be... I'm, I'm not doing a damn thing on New Year's Eve. What do I do every year on New Year's Eve? I'm in bed by 9 o'clock. <laughs> it's true. I know. It's sad. I used to stay up late. Used to stay up till midnight and watch the ball drop. And But that was back in the day. Remember like when like there was Dick Clark's Rock and Eve? I mean, it kind of got dumb at the end of the day. But you know, back when you were like... I was a kid. I was like, oh, like 9 or 10. I'll get to stay up till midnight. And there was Dick Clark on the TV. And you that's what you would watch was... Dick Clark, can you watch the ball drop? And I've actually been to New York and watched the ball drop twice. Uh, I stood in that hot mess twice to do that. Because once wasn't enough stupid. I had to get it in in twice. And then I, what did, I just quit watching it. Like they got Ryan Queenquest, uh, just Ryan Seacrest doing it for for Dick Clark. And he's he's horrible. And CNN got, you know, Miss Cooper, Miss Anderson Cooper on there with that uh, raging ginger chick. What's her name? forgot her name it's stupid kathy uh whatever <laughs> not kathy bates kathy griffin uh but uh yeah i just i just don't watch it anymore and plus i'm 51 i just i want to go to bed early get up early i can walk up to starbucks and everyone else is asleep because they're whatever but yeah i'll be in bed nine maybe ten o'clock maybe ten i'll stay up i'll be a wild man and stay up till 10 this year anyway let's talk about joe exotic and here's the headline bless his heart Joe Exotic sues Trump administration for denying his pardon request because apparently 2020 has a few final plot twists left. And I I asked President Trump to pardon the Tiger Queen because we had that those tigers that ate that monkey in England, ripped that damn thing apart. Well, the stupid monkey, you know, to, to give the lions the credit, it was the monkey's fault because the monkey escaped and went right to the lion's den. <laughs> Dumb monkey. And so he kind of got what he deserved, but I said we need to get the Tiger Queen out there because that would not happen with the Tiger Queen. But anyway, let's find out what's going on with uh, Tiger Queen's pardon, or lack thereof. 
As the final days of Trump's presidency slip away, desperate Tiger Queen star Joe Exotic is suing the U.S. Department of Justice for refusing his request for a pardon. The 57-year-old gun-toting gay redneck is currently staring down the barrel of 22 years in federal prison for a litany of offenses. The haircut is not included, but do include a murder-for-plot hire to kill his nemesis, Carol Baskin, who is rumored to have killed her husband. Since finding fame with Netflix's Tiger Queen, Exotic has been relentlessly pursuing a presidential pardon from his fellow reality TV star Donald Trump, but with his many groveling requests going nowhere, he's decided to change his tactics. Lawyers for Exotic have filed a six-page complaint in which the didn't wait, but Michael Max wasn't his like uh, appeal or his pardon request. It, folks, it was like a couple hundred pages, and I'm assuming it was written in crayon. <laughs> With big block letters, so he didn't have much on each page, but he sent the president like a couple hundred pages. <laughs> I wouldn't read that damn thing either. I'd be like, ah, pff, I'm not going to deal with that. Just give me something, bullet point it, Tiger Queen. Just make it boom, 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 boom. And then I'll make a decision. I don't need 257 pages. Anyway, let's pick that back up. Lawyers for Exotic have filed a six-page complaint in which they accuse acting pardon attorney Rosalind Sargent Burns of not presenting the formal request directly to Trump, something they claim she was required to do. Because of this, the complaint says the rejection of the request shouldn't be valid, and it specifically names Donald Trump Jr. as a supporter of Exotic's cause. Can you imagine poor Donald Trump Jr.? like, how the hell did I get roped into this train wreck? Do you want to hear more about this white... Yeah, I knew you would. I knew you would. Many people have come out and publicly expressed their disagreement with Joe Exotic's conviction and subsequent sentence. Among those are members of the president's own family, it states. Donald Trump Jr. has been an advocate for Joe Exotic to be pardoned. We know that now. Joe Exotic's attempts to get the president's attention have been growing more and more desperate as time goes by. He's tried letters. He's tried Fox News. He's tried a $94 million civil rights lawsuit against the federal government. I'm assuming this is where he's claiming he has been used as a as a sex doll by the prison guards, wherever he is stationed. They apparently use him like Harvey Weinstein used actresses. His husband, which I believe is just a boy toy, but his husband even tried a 1,350-mile road trip to Washington. Listen to this white boy Malcolm X in a tour bus emblazoned with exotics face God. the horror of can you imagine just driving down the highway and all of a sudden this uh, bus pulls up next to you and there's the tiger queen with that hideous mullet that lesbian haircut and hit that bleach blonde lesbian haircut staring back at you with that puss on his face Ugh, i'd wreck my car none have succeeded and now with just 32 days left of donald trump's presidency this latest frantic act suggests that Joe's more than a little worried that his precious pardon won't come through. Poor Tiger Queen. I feel bad for the Tiger Queen. President Trump, pardon the Tiger Queen. Set him free. It's over anyway. I have to say, folks, this next story, if you are employed at the Smoking Gun and you're listening to the show, I have to say that this is a very weak story. (laughs) I expect more out of the Smoking Gun if I have a story involving Florida. And, and an arrest. I expect a little bit better. Here's the headline. More seasons beatings from Sunshine State. And of course, folks, you know, it's the holiday season, so people like to beat each other up, especially if they're out in line at a Walmart and they're vying for the PlayStation, whatever, 5,000, whatever, whatever's out these days. But this is a weak, weak story 
before I smoke, I would have ended, I would have proudly ended this show with a, this smoking gun story because it involves crime in Florida. Two things that go well together, like a queen and a vodka cocktail. But this story, I stuck it in the middle of the pile because it's kind of weak. But let's find out a little bit more. You judge, folks. You be the judge of that. A Florida woman was arrested yesterday for battery after allegedly striking her sister with a Christmas decoration during a 2 a.m. domestic dispute, according to court records. So, folks, let me amend my prior statement that no good comes from being out after midnight. No good comes from being up after midnight, which is why my ass will be in bed at 9 o'clock on New Year's Eve. Because I'm, I have never been arrested, and I sure as hell have never been arrested out or in my house doing something stupid at 2 a.m. like these folks. But let's find out more. Police allege that Shirley Rogers, 55, was arguing with her boyfriend when her sibling sought to defuse the situation. However, that attempt failed, cops say. You could say that again. The victim told investigators that while she was trying to calm the defendant down, Rogers, seen it right, and look at that. That is a smoke. Look at that white boy, Michael Max. That is a smoking of this chick. Whoa. Man, oh man. Honey, lay off the good stuff. Push. Anyway, let's pick that back up. Roger seen it, right? Pushed her in the chest and then grabbed a Christmas cone and stuck her in the torso with the holiday ornament. So she tried to stab her with a Christmas cone. An arrest affidavit notes that the weapon was a beaded cone tree used for decoration. Well, that's a crappy ass way to stab someone. Get a knife like all, our, all the other good folks at the smoking gun stories do. Well, here's where the drama gets good, White Boy Malcolm X. Upon being struck by the Christmas cone, a beaded cone tree used for decoration, folks, the victim asked Roger's boyfriend to call 911. So let's do a quick summary. So the woman, Shirley Rogers, is is fighting with her boyfriend. The sister comes in. <gasps> Thank you, White Boy Malcolm X. Folks, you really should have listened to last Wednesday's podcast. So, folks... Shirley's sister was a violence interrupter. And we know, well, we know what a failure that was. Folks in D.C., they have violence interrupters, and they actually had arrested a violence interrupter for perpetrating violence. He murdered some guy. So she could have been like, sister, stop. Stop doing that. And then the sister gets, gets mad at her for sticking her nose in her business because she's like, you know, don't you, you mind your own business. And she gets a cone and sticks her. And was like, ah! So instead of saying like, Ah, you stupid bitch. Why'd you stab me with the cone? She's like, call 911. Call 911. So they're calling 911 over being poked with a cone. You people in Florida, man. Officer, and I, as I always say, folks, I do love you folks in Florida. You are good, good humored about this. Officers responding to Rogers' residence in Oxford, a community about 85 miles northeast of Tampa, noted that the victim had a small vertical cut on her left side in the area she indicated the defendant had struck her. The woman also complained of pain in her left side and ribs. Uh, and this is this is one of the other reasons I hate this story, because apparently, and this might have been the only time, Shirley has made it to 55 and not been arrested in Florida, because... She says she was arrested on a misdemeanor, of course, battery charge, and booked in the Sumter County Jail. But there is no listing of, of Shirley's other offenses, and the smoking gun always lists those things out. I mean, there was one I had to take a couple deep breaths because this guy's rap sheet was so long. It was like, <gasps> and da-da-da-da-da. But this one, she, she made it to 55, and all she's facing is a misdemeanor battery charge for stabbing her tattletail sister. <laughs> if you're Shirley's sister, honey, they're, they're a lot— Now, wonder Portland— 
Where is that story? I got a story coming up about nine one one, calling nine one one on things. Now, wonder pe- people want to like make it illegal to call nine one one, or just disband the cops because poor cops are like, ah, oh, crap. It's, first of all, you've got to be a really put up. Bless your heart if you're a police officer in Florida. The crazy you got to go through. But can you imagine having to show up at two a.m. and you got Shirley and the boyfriend and the sister and the cone and a little droplet of blood. You're like, what has my life become? I got to deal with these three schmucks. Okay, that is done. Um, speaking of the criminal justice system, this is this article is from LGBTQ Nation. So thank you, folks, at the LGBTQ Nation. You did not stick the I in there for intersex. Is that right? Yeah, that is right. Okay. And you did not add the plus, which means you're either being brave or you just, you're being stupid because they're going to come after you for not recognizing the I in the plus. But here's the headline on this. Father sentenced to prison for hiring a hitman to ambush his gay son. And before we dig into this, I have to say that in looking back, I, I, I think I got away with it. I was pretty lucky uh, when, I, when I came out um, as being gay. I came out when I was like 21. And that was 1993 in South Carolina. And for me, you know, I grew up in a very conservative Area and I grew up in a, in a conservative household, um, and both my parents were Republicans. And my dad was till the, the day he passed, and my mom still is. Uh, you know, Mama Frost still is, but they um, nothing. I mean, it's like a big yawn. <laughs> I guess they already knew. They're like, when's this kid coming out? Jesus, he's already he's twenty one already. He better get this thing going. But I came out, and it was like a okay. <laughs> yeah, my dad was like. Finish school, go on, and blah, 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 whatever. Uh, they could care less. And my friends, nobody cared. And it was just one of these things where I um, I didn't face the backlash that I know a lot of people do. And, and, and it is very unfortunate that, um, that, that people have to go through, you know, literally being disowned by your families, cut off, isolated, treated horribly. If you like this story, we'll get into. Uh, the father hires a hitman to go after the kid. He doesn't, he doesn't want to accept him. And so I, in a lot of ways, you know, I have been very fortunate and what, well, yes, I guess it could be white supremacy. I guess I drew a, a lucky, because I'm white and white people don't beat their gay kids, except for this Italian family. But uh, for the most part, I, I, anyway, long story short, I was very fortunate um, and, 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 but I know that some people are not. Which, which is pretty which is pretty horrible. But let's find out even worse than horrible is this story. How's this? A 75-year-old Italian man has been sentenced to two years in prison after he hired a hitman to attack his son and his son's partner. The ongo- And I thought I had it bad with my ex's family. God. No, they were actually mostly gracious. When his mother, I will say this though, when his mother figured out that we were not just roommates... <laughs> It got frosty there for a little bit, but you know his father was cool. His, his siblings were cool. The, the the extended family was very gracious and always very nice. She was not. She got really really frosty with me. But oh well. The ongoing terror campaign started when the son appeared in a newspaper with another man. The dad reportedly paid a man twenty five hundred euros to attack his son, a surgeon, and break his finger so he couldn't work. It wasn't the first time the father had hired goons to ambush the gay couple. The problem started in 2017 when the father saw pictures of his son with a male actor in a tabloid. The son, oh, so this guy, he's banging some hot Italian model. Mm Mm-mm, mercy. 
The son had already told his father that he was gay the year before. At the time, the father just said, too bad, I wanted grandchildren. <laughs> See, that's all the time, in. I don't care. You bang a woman, give me a grandkid. Mercy. The father then lashed out against the son and the son's male partner. The man's partner, this poor guy is put upon. The man's partner was severely beaten earlier this year by thugs hired by the father. The man was hospitalized after the attack. The couple's car had also been vandalized. I don't know if any relationship, folks, is worth <laughs> this sort of aggravation. Getting your ass beat beat by this uh, the, the stepfather. The father also harassed his wife of 42 years when she decided to leave him. Even the mother had enough. And the father's harassment of the Don escalated when the son intervened to stop his father from beating his mother one day. The son told authorities that his father had fo had him followed and heckled in the streets and that he'd been forced to change his locks and disrupt his normal routine to avoid any problems. Then the father hired a hitman in May of this year. My son is a thug. Break his fingers, the father allegedly told the hitman. Man, that is quite the father. The hitman stalked the son and his partner for two weeks, but didn't see them commit any crimes or even interact with other criminals. So he told the son about the father's plan after slashing the son's <laughs> tires, as well as the tires on the mother's new car. And I'm not going to read any more of this. The snitch of the hitman. Man. So much for keeping secrets in Italy. You know, I wanted to go there, White Boy Malcolm X, but now I'm not going to. I'm afraid to. I'd be harassed. I guess this guy's in jail, but... I guess they are not liking the gays over there or something. This is a follow-up story. This is from KTXS. And this has to do with that silly little 17-year-old drama queen in Texas. They suspended her for wearing her fancy nails. She got her nails done over the holidays. And they said, you can't do that here in Texas. And that queen is having herself a fit. And here's the headline. Clyde, CISD, not yet changing policy that led to suspension of gay male for nail polish. And what's this kid's name? Trevor Wilkinson. And he was placed in school suspension on November 30th. He was going all at it. And apparently, white boy Malcolm X, he went last week, he went to the school board a second time to ask them to change the dress code. And obviously they said no. And there's, there's audio of this. <laughs> Or this video of it, actually. I could I could play the audio of it uh, here on the show. But I am not going to pick on Trevor Wilkinson, bless his heart. And, you know, there's a really interesting book. I learned a lot from it. And I think it's also with with, um, with getting older. But I think it's, the guy's name is Mark Manson. And, and the book is called, I'll give it a, a cheap plug. Um, it's called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Blank. And that's, you know, the F word. And so it's a really good book. And it talks about not giving a blank and it doesn't mean like becoming like a nihilist and no, nothing matters and you know but uh, two two points the first is that you know when you're like you're trevor wilkinson you're 17 years old every hill is a hill to die on you give a blank about everything and anything and that's why you got all these little activist kids running around because they just care about everything so much and then you get to my age at, at 51 and you're like eh, that is a that's a battle i don't need to fight or that is not the hill i want to die on and you just you kind of mellow over time and you just you learn about what's important in life and what's not important in life. And that's kind of the theme of the book is understanding what are the hills to die on and what 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 is important. And when you kind of give up, 
caring about things that really don't matter, right? And I always try to ask myself when I get frustrated about something, is this something that is going to matter in a year or so? And if not, I just let it go. I, I don't care. But Trevor's just going to learn that. He's just a kind of a dopey little 17-year-old kid right now. And uh, he's he'll figure it out on his own, I'm assuming. I mean, if he gets to be like um, my age <laughs> in three decades, holy crap. Uh, Trevor, trust me, if you're listening to this podcast, you will be my age tomorrow. And I know you're like, I am not going to be an old queen like you. Yeah, 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 yeah. You will be. Trust me. Give it the, what is it, the, the 34 years. Like that, Trevor. Like that, overnight. You will be my age. Trust me. But, you know, I'm not going to pick on him. I will be, uh, I'll be nice today, White Boy Malcolm X. It's uh, Mama Frost is coming in town. It's Christmas. I'll be nice. But, you know, he'll learn. He'll learn his lesson. It's nail polish is not. Not the way to go. Okay, this is from Zero Hedge, and here is the headline. UPenn ethicist, old people shouldn't get vax first since they're too white. And this reminds me, I saw when I was looking at some gay stories, they all hate Mike Pence because they have this, there's just this thing around that he just hates gay people. And if he could, he would drive around and shoot them all to death. He'd come up here, white by Malcolm X, he'd get us. Which is not the case, but it, hey, it's good folklore for the gay folks to raise money, and they're going to keep at it. But they're mad because Mike Pence got himself a, a COVID shot, and there was a picture in the newspaper about it. But funny, in, in uh, up here in Massachusetts, well, Pocahontas, now she's not, she's kind of fake Indian, but she got her COVID shot, and Tweedledum Markey got our senators, our two dopey senators, got, they got theirs too. So the ruling class, apparently, they're going through the ruling class and getting them all taken care of. But there was also, a, on Boston.com, there was a story. They're going to start prioritizing prisoners. The uh, the folks that murder and rape and steal. They're getting their COVID shots first. I guess because they're trapped and they can't really avoid it. But, you know, who knows? Let's find out about this one, Too White. An expert in ethics and health policy at the University of Pennsylvania says old people shouldn't receive COVID-19 vaccinations first because they're too white and society needs to start leveling the playing field. Older populations are whiter, Dr. Harold Schmidt told the New York Times. Look at this. It's another one, white boy, Malcolm X. The dopey. This one, folks, we had the dopey millennial guy talking about a cultural appropriation on an orca picture. But this guy is a dopey middle-aged white guy. Another white guy has to show his street cred, how woke he is, by throwing other white people under the bus. Anyway, let's pick back back up. Older populations are whiter, Dr. Harold Schmidt told the New York Times, adding, society is structured in a way that enables them to live longer. Instead of giving additional health benefits to those who already have more of them, we can start to level the playing field a bit. Well, Dr. Schmidt, I hate to tell you, sir, but... We've already had an article where BIPOC doesn't want this thing. <laughs> Black people do not want to be at the front of the COVID line because they just assume this is another Tuskegee Airmen experiment. They're like, uh-uh, you white folks, you take it first. <laughs> and now the good woke white liberals like, I, 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 don't, I don't think we should. So I don't know who's going to take <laughs> Other than Mike Pence and Pocahontas and Tweedledee Markey, I don't know who else is getting this thing. So I guess we're going to have a lot of free shots going around. White boy Malcolm X, we, after the prisoners... We, we might get to go get to front of the line there because no one else wants it. Schmidt has instead called for essential workers. And the, the essential workers, folks, if you don't know what those are, those are employees at Whole Foods and employees at the local Tesla dealership so they can keep COVID Karen's life moving. And, and at the fine wine store is another. <laughs> Can't forget that either. 
and those ranking high on the CDC Social Vulnerability Index to receive the first jab. The index includes 15 measures derived from the census, such as overcrowded housing, lack of vehicle access, and poverty, to determine, and that folks is caused by white supremacy and systemic racism, to determine how urgently a community needs health support with the goal of reducing inequalities. And I'm not reading any more of that. You folks get the picture. Another good woke white liberal. This is a page six story. White boy Malcolm X, we're almost done. Got a couple more stories left. How's this headline? Connie Chung, who I don't even know if she's relevant anymore. I don't even know why she's wasting the ink on this one. But dishes dirt on CBS, ABC colleagues, plus Letterman and The Undoing. So I guess she is doing something. She's plugging something. So she's, she's yapping her mouth again. So let's find out what's going on in Connie's world. Connie Chung, the former ABC, CBS, NBC, and CNN anchor, has dished in a revealing new interview on behind-the-scenes tension with colleagues, including Diane Sawyer, Barbara Walters, and Dan Rather, as well as her seemingly flirtatious relationship with David Letterman and how she ruffled Hugh Grant's feathers during her cameo in the recent HBO hit, The Undoing. So, just like the last, last podcast we have, what did I say? Hell hath no fury like a woman's court. <laughs> or queen. We want to be uh, kind of gender neutral on this, even though there are seven genders, which I don't know all of, but there are seven genders, but we're going to be completely gender neutral on all it. So Connie is just she's pissed off and she's going to throw some people under the bus. Let's find out how. On Andrew Goldman's The Originals podcast for Los Angeles Magazine, Chung said that working with Rather at CBS was like a scene out of Psycho, while her treatment at ABC working with Walters and Sawyer was not unlike what Tanya Harding did to Nancy Kerrigan. She also said of Letterman, off the air, he's dark, and recalled how she got the evil eye from the director of The Undoing, Suzanne Beyer. Chung, 74, began her career as a CBS Evening News correspondent in the 1970s, before heading to NBC and ultimately winding back up at CBS as his marquee co-anchor with Rather in the 1990s. And I remember that. We used to watch, when I was a kid, we used to watch, that was the news channel we watched at dinnertime. We'd watch the CBS Evening News, and it was Walter Cronkite, and then it was Dopey Dan Rather. And I remember when when she joined that, and... Um, I just, you know, you fall into a pattern. So when I watched the evening news, I would always watch CBS, even if I wasn't living at home. And there she is with Dan Rather. And that was a that was a train wreck, those two. But while Rather was outwardly very Texas gentlemanly, she told Goldman, if I turn my back, I felt like it might be a scene of Psycho in the shower. So she's saying that Dan Rather is a two-faced backstabber, which I can see totally. Later, when I went to ABC News, I joined with both Barbara Walters and Diane Sawyer there, and I thought, oh, this is going to be great. It'll be three women who get along. Does anyone, anyone believe that? <laughs> I don't. I, uh, I don't. It's funny. Some of my, my closest, dearest, oldest friends, and not by age, just the amount of time I've uh, known them, are, are women. It's funny how women are about other women. <laughs> Man, they are just... I remember, I don't know if I should tell the story. Okay, I will. I was interviewing at a job years ago. It was in Denver, actually. I th- White Boy Michael Max, I think I told you the story at the time. And um, I was interviewing, and the office I was interviewing at was mostly women. And a woman in my life, and I will not say who, told me, you do not want to work with a bunch of women. <laughs> 
And of course, I'm trying to be politically correct. I'm like, well, why not? Why would I not want to work with a bunch of women? I'm a gay man. Gay men always get along with women. And she started in about backstabbing and gossiping and all sorts of stuff. I'm like, oh, okay. There is not harmony in the tribe there. So all this talk about women power, they apparently there's a lot of uh, underlying tension there. So I was like, good to know. And I didn't get the job anyway, so I'm like, good, I'm glad. Instead, she found a scene not unlike what Tanya Harding did to Nancy Kerrigan. So apparently, folks, Barbara Walters, Barbara Wawa, and Diane Sawyer are a couple of mean girls. <laughs> because when I got to ABC, both Diane and Barbara were in the same sort of arena and tr- of trying to get these big interviews. So when I tried to go after them, I was told I could not. Mm-mm, don't do that. That Barbara and Diane were the only ones who could compete for the interview, and I had to stand down. And I said, really? Well, yes, because those mean girls will get you. She wound up upsetting the ABC apple cart by landing a 2001 interview with Representative Gary Condit about the disappearance of intern Chandra Levy. During Chung's career, she became one of Letterman's favorite guests, and fans felt there was a chemistry between the late-night show host and the anchor, ooh, that's creepy, who's been happily married to Maury Povich since 1984. I had this thing for him, and he had a thing for me. Ugh, I have a thing about wanting to throw up just thinking about that. And I really think it was inexplicable in that respect, she said of Letterman on Goldman's podcast. And yet, I really don't have a thing for him. Do you know what I mean, she further explained. I love people who have a sense of humor and who are charming, and he was that when he was on the air. And this is where she sticks the knife in the Dave's back. Listen to this, folks. But off the air, he's dark. He's a dark, unhappy sort of, I don't mean he's unhappy. He's a kvetch. He's a goyish kvetch. She also said of Letterman, he's antisocial is what he is, socially retarded. Woo! She used the R word, folks. She's going to be in some trouble. Man, oh man. So Connie is complaining about Dan Rather being a... Two-Faced Backstabber, and look what she just... <laughs> she's called... I mean, David Letterman, I tell you, he has gotten, like, cranky old man. I think that's where I'm headed. <laughs> He's just, like, this bitter bitter old man. Just really bleh. Bleh, bleh, bleh. He's just really cranky. Apparently, he's also socially retarded. Enough of that. This is from... I need to learn how to pronounce this guy's name. Uh, Bongino. Bongino? I don't... Bong, I'll just say Bongino.com. And here's the headline... Seattle politician who defunded the police called 911 to report a crime she wants to legalize. So this, well, there's Joanne Hardesty in Portland, but this chick, look at this white boy, Malcolm X. That's a some hideous middle-aged ginger chick. She probably, if she were 20 years younger, she'd be off riding in New York. Seattle City Councilwoman Lisa Herbold has been one of the drivers of the defund the police movement in that city. She also is pushing a law that would give blanket immunity for misdemeanor crimes as long as the person committing the crime was poor, homeless, drug-addicted, or had a mental illness. Apparently, like so many other liberals, Herbold thinks her wonderful ideas shouldn't apply when she's the one being victimized. She definitely is like Joanne Hardesty and the Lyft driver. On Friday, a man tossed a rock through her living room window, and Herbold called the police. You know, the police she wants to defund because vandalism, a crime she doesn't think the poor, homeless, drug-addicted, or mentally ill should be punished for, was committed against her. According to Herbold, she was on the west side of the living room near the kitchen when she heard a loud noise that sounded like a gunshot and dove into the kitchen for cover. (laughs) You see that woman fall into the ground. 
When one of those awful cops she wants to defund showed up to help, she told the officer, who probably, folks, is probably a racist, her staff has received anonymous phone threats recently, but nothing in particular that links the threats to today's incident. So interesting question. If Lisa Herbold's law passed and someone were to pay poor, homeless, and mentally ill people $5 to throw rocks at Lisa Herbold's house, would they be convicted of a crime even if they didn't fit into those categories? Maybe, but what if that person paid someone who was mentally ill to do it for them? <laughs> who wrote this? I like this guy. Uh, John Hawkins over at Bongino.com. I like his sense of humor. These sound like jokey, ridiculous questions, but Seattle is getting so detached from reality that these are issues that need to be considered. Meanwhile, police officers are leaving the Seattle force in droves, and the city is on pace to have the highest number of homicides that it has seen in years. And here's how he closes out the article. At the end of the day, mistakes like the one Seattle is making tend to be self-correcting problems because guess what? People can virtue signal all they want, but no one wants a rock thrown through their window. And I, but I don't disagree with you, John. I really don't. But I'm going to, it's going to be interesting to see how they roll that back. Because I think, especially like New York, New York is a no bail state, right? So you can go and you can be some raging ginger chick in New York with your buddies. And white boy Malcolm X only found one of the scummy white kids that she was riding with cute. I'm just, I'm. I'm just saying it because I got in trouble last time for saying you liked them all, but just the one. But you and your pals can run up and down New York and just trash and you know create a whole bunch of chaos. They'll arrest you, maybe, but they're just gonna let you. Back. They're gonna let you right back out, no bail, just out you go. But people are gonna get used to that. Be like, hey, let's go, let's go riot this weekend and have some fun and just trash the place because you're not gonna get really you're not gonna get arrested. You're, if you get arrested, you're gonna get released, and even if you get arrested, you're not gonna get prosecuted. <laughs> And then so you start to dial that back. It's like, okay, we are actually going to arrest you and we're going to hold you and we're going to have bail. People are like, what? What the what? You can't do that. And then people are like, well, we're actually going to prosecute this crime. And people are like, what? They're going to go nuts. They're going to lose their, they're going to literally gonna like lose their foam at the mouth, radical liberal minds. <laughs> you try to hold them accountable for anything. They are going to go berserk. And a place like Seattle, a place like New York, Portland, can you see? Wait till they try. Wait, that pansy boy, Ted Wheeler out there, that stupid pajama boy. Wait till see if he tries to like put on his adult, his big boy pants and act like a man for once and find his spine and find his testicles. Let's see how they react to that. They'll burn something and he'll go crying like a little bitch and apologize again. (laughs) Not with the current leadership. Not with this, what's this stupid chick's name again? Seattle City Councilwoman Lisa Herbold. Good job there, Lisa. Okay, folks, uh, I am, uh, this is our last story, and I am being a good host, and I am ending it with a smoking gun. However, this is not our smoking gun Florida story, because I thought that was kind of weak. This is a Michigan story, and here is the headline, Parents Must Pay Son for Purge of Porn Collection. Man, 42, filed lawsuit after Kin trashed his XXX film library. And, And before I start reading this, folks, if you've got a, uh, a youngster listening to the show with you, as I said last week, first shame on you because this is probably a little bit too adult themed for them. But this is this article, folks, is really adult themed. So definitely get your kids out of the room for this one. And this is a this is a news article, so it's in print. Your kids can probably find it online anyway. But I'm just saying, right now, you know, get them out of the room, throw them out. I'm not talking about Santa this time, but just throw him out of the room anyway. 
A Michigan couple will have to pay their 42-year-old son back for destroying his massive pornography stash, a federal judge ruled in a case that included the filing of a 43-page inventory of the man's porn sex toy collection. Great Caesar's ghost. This guy must have had four arms the size of my legs. In an opinion issued last month, Judge Paul Maloney granted a summary judgment in favor of David Working, who loves porn folks, who last year sued his parents, Paul and Beth, who are probably despondent that their son has such a sick fascination with pornography, both of whom are 68. Maloney will issue an opinion on damages after the parties make further submissions to the court. After divorcing his wife, Merkel moved in with his parents in late 2016. I'm sorry, folks. I don't believe he divorced her. I bet she divorced his ass. <laughs> probably like, my husband has got more porn than every high school boy in this state. <laughs> I gotta get out of here, because I want to be a part of that. Bringing along personal property that included a large collection of pornographic material, according to the court filing. But after tensions between David and his parents were running high, Maloney noted, and I wonder why, Workings moved to Indiana, leaving his porn collection in his parents' Grand Haven home. I wonder what he was doing without it. Poor guy. The working subsequently tossed their son's belongings, prompting him to file a destruction of property complaint with police. I would assume, white boy Malcolm X, that that would be abandonment of property, but I guess not in Michigan. Beth Working told police that before David was allowed to move in, it was requested that he not bring any of his pornography. She added that they knew David had issues with pornography, according to the police report. Beth, honey, your son does not have issues. He's got severe issues with that much porn, which we'll detail in a second. While packing David's belongings after he departed, his parents found a large amount of pornography that they were upset about being in the residence. Working's mother, cops reported, advised the items were destroyed and discarded. After state prosecutors declined to pursue charges against his parents, so this, this pervert with his massive porn stash actually sicked the police and wanted them criminally charged with destroying his, his porn stash, Working filed a U.S. District Court lawsuit against them, claiming that the 12 boxes of porn and sex toys were worth about, are you sitting down, white boy Malcolm X? Yes, you are. $25,000. Man. <laughs> Man, I know what this guy was doing every Friday and Saturday night, enjoying that stash. In inventory filed in the federal case, list, get, listen to this, folks, 400 and 28 VHS tapes. I didn't even know those things still existed. And probably got a bunch of millennials going, what the, what the hell is a, what the hell is a, v, a VHS a tape? What, what, what is that? That sounds, that sounds crazy. Listen, kids, that, that was the, uh, the predecessor of the long gone, I guess DVDs are now gone too, pretty much. That's, I, I don't think anyone, everything streams. So when you kids can just go online, you can go to Pornhub and just stream something, right? But in the old days, they had, like, nudie magazines, and then they had VHS tapes. And sometimes if you played too much, like this guy probably did, the tape would warp. And then they got DVDs, which you could play at infinitum, and they wouldn't warp, but they would scratch. And now they stream them, so you kids don't have to worry about all that. But this guy had 428 VHS tapes, 1,605 DVDs, and dozens of sex toys that working alleged were disposed of by his parents. And I don't know... What kind of sex toys? <laughs> Dozens of them, white boy Malcolm X. This guy, 1,605 DVDs. You think he couldn't digitize that? But 
This guy, I don't want to know what he's doing with those. You see this guy like in a Barca lounger with a VHS tape. <laughs> Probably has like an old, old boxy TV too. And he's got his, you know, a plethora of sex toys just strewn around the room, having fun. Anyway, all sex toys bought within a year of each other never use the inventory noted. And I'm calling BS on that. You pervert. I bet this guy was having fun. Workings collection. Okay, folks, this is where it gets a little bit more naughty, as if the last part of it wasn't, but it definitely gets the kids out now. Workings collection included titles like, Hey, My Grandma is a Whore 18. So there are 18, 18 of these titles with grandma being a hoe. So I guess one wasn't enough, five wasn't enough, ten wasn't enough. I, I wonder if there are more, but I'm not going to find out because I don't ever want to see grandma having sex. Forced to lactate seven. <laughs> Man, now that's a fetish right there. You want to talk about the um, the guy, the trans man who identifies as a dog being a kink? That um, lactate. Speaking of which, <laughs> yes, White Boy Macamac. Speaking of which, um, I just got done doing the boys. I mean, watching the <laughs> now, folks. Watch the the show is called The Boys. It's it's not a it's not a porn. It's on Amazon Prime. <laughs> doing the boys. It's been one of those days, folks. It's been one of those weekends. Um, so I've got finished watching The Boys on Amazon Prime, which is a show about kind of corrupt superheroes. But the guy that kind of is like the Superman type, uh, he's into like like lactating milk. So he, he, that's his thing is, is breast milk. So I guess this is uh, this would be for him. Forced to lactate seven. Another one, lesbian squirting midgets. And I want to butt blank a fatty three. <laughs> His sex toys, as if that wasn't bad enough, folks. I want to butt blank a fatty three. His sex toys included a $300 stone dildo, a Fleshlight Freaks alien dildo, and Honey Bear lubricant valued at $25.34. So in summary, because that's the end of the article, David and his wife got a divorce. I wonder why. And David moves home and mom is like, "Mm -mm, do not bring that porn home. And David does anyway, and then David moves to Indiana because they're getting in fights, and then the parents go and go, oh my good God, what is this crap? And they tossed it, and he is suing them. This David working has literally no shame, folks, that he was willing to go public. He wanted him criminally prosecuted. Now he's suing them in civil court because they threw away, I want a butt blank, a fatty three, and they threw away a $300 stone dildo, and he went public with this. Because he wants that twenty five grand, so he can go buy. You know, I want a butt blank of fatty four, <laughs> and my grandma is a whore twenty five and whatever lesbian squirting. <laughs> Just good God, honey bear lubricant, white boy Malcolm X. Goodness, goodness gracious, this guy has a lot of dildos for a straight man. <laughs> and I'm telling you right now, David, you are not coming into this drive. Do not say you're questioning. Do not say you're bisexual. I will. I got enough. Issues in my tribe right now as it is. You are not coming in. I don't care how many dildos you have. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, I got to stop the show. We're done. Okay, folks, thank you so much for uh, for joining us today on today's podcast. Remember that we will not be here Wednesday. So in the meantime, you know, if you celebrate it, uh, have a Merry Christmas this coming Friday. 
I will have a great one with lots of wine and and Mama Frost. Uh, remember also that you can reach me a couple of different ways. Uh, Miller at MillerFrostOnline.com is my email. Um, I, my Twitter suspension ends. Uh, one last time, screw you, Twitter. <laughs> screw you. Because saying that that Hunter Biden is a Chinese whore is not hateful conduct. It is reality. So get over it. Uh, I should be back on Twitter active in the next couple of days. And then my uh, parlor handle is at Miller Frost. Uh, in the meantime, uh, until next week, um, have a great holiday. Have a great week. I'm just going to take it easy with Mama Frost. And uh, we'll see you back here soon. And in the meantime, take care. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.